Welcome to The Alternative Investor, the show where we discuss, debunk, and demystify all things about investing in alternative assets. All right, Brad, are we going to talk about something near and dear to my heart today? We are. We're going to talk about search funds today. This might be something I actually have real knowledge about, so I'm excited. You're the expert. Well... You know well, more about search funds than anybody I know. All right. Well, I'm, I'm blushing. All right. Let's kick it off. So um, where do you want to start? I would love to start just to, you know, what is a search what, fund? <laughs> what is a search fund? Okay. So a search fund is what I am currently doing. Essentially, it's an investment vehicle formed by one or two people. Uh, the goal is for those people to go out and look for a company to buy and then buy it and step in and operate it. And then hopefully sell it, and uh, you know, hopefully everyone makes money along the way. Sounds wonderful. Now, so who is who's funding these things? Yeah. So typically, the way this works is a search fund will. It's a, this is an LLC, right? So this, you know, the legal entity is usually an LLC. It's formed by one or two people typically, and those folks, you know, guys and girls, they go out and raise money from anywhere from ten to twenty investors. You have individual investors, and then you have some, uh, there's actually some funds that invest money in search funds as well. So you go out and you raise the money from them, and those are the investors. And then they, they back you, so they, they, they like you, they trust you, they believe in you, and they believe in your vision for the world and what they think you can accomplish. And then they, they say, they send you off with the money and say, go out and find a company to buy and operate, and uh, we'll back you. Wow. So yeah. they just trust you that you're going to go out and work hard for a couple of years? Yeah, and well, it's a little... It's a little more nuanced than that. You don't. You typically don't raise all of the money up front that you're going to use to acquire the company, right? So you know, if, if you're going to go out and buy, you know, spend ten or fifteen million bucks on a business, you don't raise all that money up front. What you do is you raise a pool of operating capital up front, and that's usually anywhere from I don't know, call it four hundred thousand bucks to eight hundred thousand bucks, and that money goes to paying salaries. So you, you know, we pay ourselves a, a small below market salary. A yeah. below market, you know what? What's the market for this? Well, no, I mean below, below what we could get in the free market if we were to go out and get a job. Okay. That's for sure. We're that's not. True. No one's getting rich off this stage of the search fund. That is true. Although, as a you know, real estate sponsor, you know this this sounds pretty good to me. Nobody was paying me that first year when I was looking for a deal. Yeah, I don't think this exists in the real estate world, does no, it? No, I don't. You know, it's it's a pretty unique model. Yeah. So the you know the way it works is you raise a, a pool of capital that four hundred eight hundred thousand bucks that pays salaries it pays uh, for some offices travel it pays travel yeah and you know just basic expenses who's who's paying for all these fancy improvements in your your beautiful office here oh uh, yeah well you know the the paint that I bought and painted myself was only about forty two dollars so I think <laughs> <laughs> that was that was a gallon and a half okay you are very frugal with your investors capital oh yeah that's good super frugal that's so. Good. Uh, yeah, but so essentially, there's there's four steps to a search fund, right? There's the the fundraising step, and that's where you know you'll go out and you'll you'll meet these individual investors of these funds. You'll you'll you know you'll put your documents in front of them and sort of what your plan is, and they'll choose to invest in you or not. Uh, ideally, you know you'd raise the capital you need to fund that. You know, call it two years of looking for a company, and then once you find the company, then now you're going into the acquisition, or you actually buy the company, and so you'll go to these folks and you'll say, hey, look, I found a business. And they, at that point, they have an opportunity to step up and fund the acquisition. So, so they're not obligated to fund. They don't have to do it. Yeah. So they act, they have what's called a right of first refusal. I think that's the technical term. A rofer. A rofer. You know, essentially, they say, you know, if they, if they like the deal, they will, you know, they can put up uh, the equity for the deal. So effectively, I kind of think of this as you are you're their business development. You're out there finding deals for them to fund. Deals yeah. that they like, yeah, exactly, and not and not only find the deals, but actually, I think the almost the more important part is you're going to be we're going to be the ones running the company, 
And so that's, you know, in terms of what's in it for us, my partner and I, we've always wanted to run a business together. And this gives us a way to do that, right? So once we buy the company, we actually step in. I'll be the CEO. My partner will be the CFO. And we will be responsible for, you know, the day-to-day operations of running that business and growing it. So, okay, I w- that's funny because I would have thought that finding it is the more critical part because they could probably outsource the, the management to somebody else, right, that maybe has been doing it for 30 years or is in that space if things aren't going well. Yeah, I, so I think that's a good point. I think both are hard, right? I mean, finding good deals are, is hard and, and running the companies effectively is hard. But, you know, typically, the, you know, they're, they're fairly discerning in terms of who they decide to back, right? So they think they want to find, you know, competent, ambitious folks that are smart and they think they have the chops to go out and operate a company. Well, maybe that's why but, it is tough, right? Because you're finding it's a small universe because you have to find somebody that not only has the, the business development deal skills, they can go out and find a great deal. It's an acquisition type of person. But you're also looking for somebody that has the, you know, the operational chops to actually, you know, turn the thing around and grow revenues and run the thing. Yeah, and and frankly, those, you know, we, they have to be willing to work at a for a pretty measly salary for the first couple of years, and then even when we buy the business, uh, it's you know, again, it's you, you we're going to pay ourselves a, a higher salary, but again, it's not like anyone's getting rich off the salaries alone. So. I think typically you wouldn't find maybe a, a a girl or you know a guy or a girl with thirty or forty years of operating experience is going to go out and do this. I think they just wouldn't be willing to take the hit in salary to do it. Well, frankly. so to me, from my perspective, I mean, there's plenty of sponsors in real estate and, and you know traditional private equity, equity that go out and try to find deals that aren't getting a salary. So the way I think about it is that the salary that you're getting and the overhead that they're funding in advance for two years, uh, the trade-off to that is that. You don't have a real liquid market to, uh, of investors to go to if you find a great deal that you know that you could fund outside of this core group of investors. They're basically, you know, they're your captive pool of investors. Yeah, and it's it's great to know that they're behind you, right? I mean, these these are smart smart folks, right? They have a lot of them have operating experience on their own, or they're, they're smart investors. You know, you can go to them for advice during the search phase where you're looking for a company, and of course, some of them will be on your board of directors once you actually buy the company. So it is. It's great to have that team behind you when you're going out looking. It, it kind of gives you that extra confidence. And, and who frankly, are these people, by the way? Like, I mean, look. Yeah, it's you know you could probably Google search fund investors, but you know there's some of the bigger funds that are out there. There's a firm, there's a firm in Boston called Pacific Lake Partners. There's a firm in Seattle called Trilogy Trilogy Search Partners. I think their name is. Those both of those are investors in us. And then there's uh, there's a few other ones that are funds like Search Fund Partners. And then there's a bunch of individuals as well, and it's 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 a pretty clubby group. A lot of these a lot of these folks are former searchers who've had successful exits, yeah. and now they have capital to put into company or put yeah. into search funds. That was my question: was are they former search fund guys that and girls that were at worked, and now they're deploying capital and kind of paying it, you know, oh, forward? Yeah, a lot of them are, or they're in the network of those people. So it's there's probably a few hundred individuals out there that are funding these things as well. But yeah, it is pretty clubby. Yeah. Okay. Well, so then you. Uh, did we get to the exit? Yeah. So, that, you know, again, going back to the steps, right? So you fundraise first. You, you raise a pool of capital called, you know, the operating capital, 400, 800 grand. That funds the partnership for two years. Uh, you go through the search process where you look for the company. You're doing lots of outbound emails, lots of outbound calling, letter writing, whatever it takes to unearth deals. That's the, that's the phase my partner and I are in now. And then ideally, you find a great business that wants to sell to you at a reasonable price. And so you go back to your investors, and then they, they fund the equity. You acquire that business, and you step in to operate it. I think you got a plan on probably five to ten years. You know, I think the I don't know the average is probably six or seven years. Where you're going to run the business, and then at the end of it, hopefully you've built you know you've built value. You've built a business that someone else wants to acquire. You can sell that business, and then you know investors will make their returns. So there, I, 
it looks like there's some of these search fund deals that are run indefinitely. They just keep, you know, letting the company go and are not looking for an exit. But the majority of them are like a traditional private equity deal where they want to get out in kind of five to seven years. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think the vast majority think of this as a five to seven year horizon. I, I, there's probably some that have I've gone on longer than that, but I still think even in those situations, uh, there's been some sort of liquidity event for some of the original investors, most likely. Got it. Okay. Well, how did these things form? How did they even start? My, so I don't, I'm not an expert on the history of search funds. I think. Well, um, why are we talking about this? <laughs> I'm only an expert on what it's like to actually do a search fund. Uh, but my, I think these things started at Harvard Business School back in the early 80s. There's a professor at Stanford Business School now named Irv Grosbeck, who's just been the, the sort of the evangelist for search funds. He was one of my professors at school, and he's the one who inspired me to do this. Uh, but essentially, yeah, it started in Harvard Business School. I think Stanford Business School probably kind of took the ball and ran with it through the 90s. And and now it's spread to a lot of other business schools. Um, there's there's guys and girls come out of like Columbia and Wharton and Northwestern and, and some of these. Well, you can't throw an MIT Sloan? Uh, you know, I don't think anyone comes out of MIT. Wow. <laughs> no. Wow. I'm well, sh- no, one of my buddies did it. It didn't, it didn't work out for him, unfortunately. Right. No, uh, M- MIT is yeah. what a solid group of people coming out of that school. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think now I think now it's at the point where there's you know forty or fifty funds raised each year. It's become pretty popular. And I'm um, actually surprised it's that that number's not higher. Oh really? Yeah, but uh, you know because it, it just seems like it's a it's a it's a great combination for you know wealthy individuals, wealthy firms to put money to work. I think um, yeah, a I think great strategy. I think it's probably limited by the the people that are willing to do this, right? I mean, you know, it is a, it's a risky strategy. There's no guarantee you actually find a company. You know, there's this, by the way, the um, uh, I see that's funny. I take the opposite view, viewpoint that there's plenty of people that would want to do this. I think that there is, are few people that you'd want to put money and trust to actually pull this off. Well, so yeah, that's a good point. So I think maybe you know maybe there's a lot of folks that are trying to do this and they're not getting funded. I you know it's a, I, I could ask my because I mean that. just think about it from my you know if you're a high net worth person and you did not have a search fund background and you haven't seen the merits of this formula. If somebody comes to you and they're you know they're 28, 32, just out of business school and says Hey, I want you to you to float five hundred thousand dollars for two years, and I'm going to travel all over the country and find you a great deal. And then when I do, you're going to write have, have to write a big check on top of that. It's it's a leap of faith, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's a it, yeah. To me, that makes sense. Why it's a limited universe of people that actually want to fund these yeah. things. Probably, I guess so. I guess on both sides, right? Yeah. You know, maybe you know maybe there's a limited pool of folks that are really willing to do this that are qualified. And yeah, I think you're probably right. There's a limited number of folks on the other side that, you know, have the confidence that they want to put their money with. Like, here's a dumb question. Does the money get wired up front first day or does it come quarterly, quarterly, like a construction loan? The, the original, the initial pool of operating capital. So just the capital that goes into, you know, running the fund, you know, basically doing the search, the, the salaries, the rent, the travel that is wired up front. So that goes into the bank. Wow. But you know, you're, you do have to report quarterly to your investors on, you know, show them what you're spending, you know, given the budget, uh, we, we get audited each year by an accountant to make sure that, you know, everything's on the up and up. So I think there have are some controls inter- in place. Have you gotten any interesting questions on, well, what's this thing <laughs> item expense? Yeah. So, so far, no, okay. you know, every, everything's past muster. So all those dinners we've gone to. Oh yeah. No, that I've been paying, I, that, I've been paying those out of my pocket. Oh, okay, good. Good. Yeah. I would never charge the company. Good. Good, good man. Uh, but yeah, so it's it's an, it's a really interesting investment vehicle. It's it's frankly, at the end of the day, it's a great way for a young, ambitious person. Um, generally, they've come out of an MBA program. Uh, it's a great way for those folks to to actually run a business. You know, so otherwise, you'd have to maybe work your way up the ladder, start in a medium sized business, and kind of hope to get promoted to CEO in twenty years. 
this is a way to do it right out of the gates. And there's, yeah. again, it's not without risk, but it's it's um, the opportunities there. Well, I'm surprised that it's a fairly diverse mix of people with you know engineering backgrounds, finance backgrounds, investment bankers, consultants, yeah. operators. Right? It's not just like one formula. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I, I you know, we're looking. By the way, one of the one of the great sort of sources of of information on search funds is a study that the Stanford Center for Entrepreneurial Studies does each, I guess they do it every two years. I think they just call it the search fund study. And you can, if you just Google Stanford CES search fund study, you'll find that. Oh, this is great. Lots of awesome data in there. But yeah, so I think that that report shows that, um, you know, the the, the industries that these guys are coming out of are, are across the board. Okay. So you, you learned about it in business school. Uh, and then, so why don't you tell us, you know, why, or not why, like tell us how you started and tell, tell us the story of Stables Partners. Yeah. So, what, so yeah, my firm is called Stables Partners. I'm doing it with one of my best friends from business school, Luke Teeple. He's in San Francisco. I'm down here in Southern California. Hey, Luke. What's up, Luke? He's, he's not listening. And Luke and I have always wanted to run a business together. It's something we talked about in business school. I, you know, we, we took different paths coming out of business school. He did the more um, kind of investor route. He worked for a hedge fund. I did the operating route where I worked for you know a couple of operating businesses and and uh, kind of mid twenty sixteen late twenty sixteen the time was right we were both kind of looking for the next thing to do and we said hey look let's do this let's do a search fund it was something we got exposed to at business school and we'd always kind of knew it existed and fortunately you know some of the investors in the search fund community I had met from back, being back at Stanford with Luke so we we had a pretty easy go of it frankly to raise the fund so we raised our fund early twenty seventeen. Uh, I think we really officially got going in March of 2017. So we've been looking now for about 20, 21 months. Well, I think that it's, you guys had a compelling story, right? I imagine if you had two people that had the exact same backgrounds and skill sets, it's a little tougher. You got to, you know, fill in that gap. And we've talked about that previously. You want to, you want to partner with somebody that brings something to the table that you don't. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think, you know, Luke has, my partner has a deep finance accounting and his investing background. I had more of an operating background, so we complemented each other nicely. There, there's debate out there, I think, about what's preferable, single searchers or double searchers. I don't know. I think the data is probably mixed. Yeah, and but, it seemed like it split. 55 single versus 45% are two searchers, so two partners. Yeah. So, I think, and the way I, I've split. A lot of folks have come to me asking that question, like, hey, should I do this on my own or should I find a partner? And generally my answer is if you have a great partner, if you know someone you have someone in mind and you think they'd be great and complimentary, then by all means partner up. But I wouldn't just... I wouldn't just yeah. It. I wouldn't just search for a partner just to have a partner. Yeah. I think because it's know, not needed per se. Yeah, you can do it on your own. And frankly, having a bad partner is worse than going at it solo. So, but you need to have a pretty wide skill set if you do it alone, right? Because you, you're going to have to you know send a model to these people, your investors, and you're going to have to also run the company someday. So that's I mean, true. That is true. I mean, you're going to you know you you have to pretty quickly come up to speed on how to evaluate a business. How to put together a financial model to you know show your investors what you think about that business and what the returns are going to be, uh, and you have to have the skill set to step in and actually operate that business. And, you know, maybe that's being too, maybe that's being too aggressive. You know, you don't necessarily have to have all those skills in terms of operating the business because you can hire. Well, you can hire, but you can also learn them. So I think you know, maybe at the very least you have to have the kind of open mind and, and the and you know the toolbox to to acquire those skills and the, you know the, the the mental horsepower and the ability to do it. You don't necessarily have to have done it in the past. Yeah. But I imagine if you're coming from investment banking and you're trying to do it solo, you're you're probably going to have to get your investors comfortable with the fact that well, this person's going to be running the show and dealing with payroll and you know random operational stuff. Yeah, and that's true, but that is, I would say that is one of the cool things about this community is that 
there's plenty of examples of folks that you like just described, you know, a guy or a girl who comes out of an investment banking background or maybe a consulting background, but they have the entrepreneurial bug. They've always wanted to run their own business and they can tell a compelling story. And plenty of those, plenty of those folks get funded. So it's, it is a pretty open-minded community around, around that kind of thing. They don't, you don't necessarily have to have done it before yeah. for, them to, for them to back you. And I wonder how these investors kind of look at it. You know, what is their strategy? Cause they're making the professional ones are making, you know, 10 to 20 bets on these search funds. Right. Yeah. So it'd be, yeah. it'd be interesting. We, and we should do this on another episode to talk with one of them to, you know, hear about their process and what they're looking for. Do they think about diversification in terms of the types of, you know, people that they back? Or do they just want to go after this one type of profile? It'd, you know, be interesting. Yeah, that's a good question. I think we, yeah, we should bring one of them on. Yeah, my, and my, are they are they kind of do they only focus on certain industry verticals, or are they all kind of open to just about any industry? Yeah, yeah, it's funny. It's that's a, those are good questions. I without well, of thinking course they're about great it, questions. well, they're wonderful questions, Brad. Have you thought about this? <laughs> did you write these down? I, I actually did not. I just <laughs> I went off script per usual. My I guess my guess is that. You know the people judgment part of this is the biggest factor for them. You know, do they when they when they're meeting these guys and girls that are raising these funds? You yeah. know, do they believe that these folks are going to have what it hustle. takes to find a, yeah hustle, find a business, be scrappy, convince an owner to sell to them, and then actually run that business for no. five or seven years and I, not I think lose that's, their money? Yeah, and not lose their money. That's that's probably the well. So that I mean, that's similar to the VC model, right? Where you hear that all the time, where people are like, you know, you back the entrepreneur, not the idea. Well, that's that's actually that's a good point. I've I've heard yeah I've heard it's all basically I've always heard team versus market in VC. Yeah. Like, would you rather have an A plus team and a and a B you know a B market or a vice versa? And I think the latest I've the smartest folks that I've heard answer that question usually actually err on the market. Oh, really? Yeah, they like give us give <laughs> I've them. I've been a, hearing give all a, the dumb ones. Know, yeah, give them give them a huge market and maybe a mediocre to above average team. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you know who knows there's probably no yeah, right answer there no right answer. but i think yeah i think in this case it probably is you know it's mainly about the person all right well why don't you talk about uh now you know what you guys have kind of gone out into how many companies you've talked to how many you've gone under loi like what what does that kind of process look like yeah so you know essentially generally you try to have a proprietary search which means you reach you reach directly to out to the business owners themselves you don't necessarily you know you don't always go through investment bankers or intermediaries um I, and so this is always a point of contention with me what what about that is proprietary well proprietary just meaning it's not an auction process it's okay. not like Got it's it. not like the ceo is, has put together a marketing deck and has sent it out to 100 different private equity firms to sell his business you know Got you're it. He's, he might not be only dealing with you, but he's certainly not running an official process. Yeah. No, I'm just making the point. I'm being nitpicky because everybody says they have a proprietary deal flow. And sometimes that just means that, oh, we called these people directly. We, we found their number on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good point. It's probably new. It's yeah. Cause you could reach, you know, we think we are proprietary and we're reaching out to a CEO, but 10 other people have reached out to that person as well. And he might be having conversations with all 10. So yeah. It's, uh, it's so off market, off market. Yeah. That's a good way to say it. And you know, and that, and that's not cut. That's not cut. You know, set in stone either. The investors will, you know, allow you to look at deals that are using an intermediary or investment banker. I think they just generally feel that you'll get a, you know, perhaps a more attractive valuation if you if you find these off market. Which I think that's a bias. You know, I, I think that some people, you know, think, oh, we just have to find off market deals. But it, you know, I, a deal is a deal. I'd love to see the data on that. That'd be oh, interesting. Yeah, that would you be know, interesting. I think the search fund study that we're quoting, I don't. 
think that's in there, right? Where they say, you know, look at the purchase, the you know, the purchase multiples of the proprietary deals versus the. Uh, I didn't see it, but you know, the bank's deals. Look, there. I skimmed it. Let's be honest. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that so would be a good data point. Yeah, so we've reached out to 4500 companies. We've we've you know probably had conversations with 500 or so and of those 500 maybe 50 or 60 were were interesting enough to warrant future conversations or, or additional work and then of those 50 or 60 I think we've signed a total of 3 LOIs. And so we've you know it's a pretty brutal funnel. I mean you have to turn over a lot of yeah. a lot of rocks uh, to that, find a good one. That blows me away because there's so many companies out there and you just would think out of you know that many that you're actually reaching out to there'd be a higher hit ratio. <laughs> yeah, I always I always say that, like to me it's a Venn diagram of three big three circles, right? You have the circle of you know of that's just good businesses that you'd actually would want to buy, yeah, right? And so yeah, that's, that's, a small that's a smaller circle than in, than the total universe of companies. Yeah. And then you have the circle of actually wants to sell, right? Yeah, so you know most another, business owners run these things for 10, 15, 20 years, right? So you you have to catch them at a time they want to sell. And then you have that third circle, and the overlap here is pretty brutal, where it's like they have to want to be willing to sell to you at a reasonable price, and that's you know those those are the three big variables that come into this, and I think I find that it's very difficult to find that overlap between all three of those. Totally. But it's man, is it fun looking? Oh, it's 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 great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's where we're at. So we're still looking for a business. We've uh, we've had some wonderful conversations, met some great CEOs. Uh, you know, we're in serious conversations with a couple, but we'll, you know, we'll see what happens. Well, no, I've been thoroughly impressed with the system that you guys have created to proactively reach out to these guys and then and then work that deal through the funnel. It's systematic, and I'm I'm as a real estate investor, I'm totally envious of that. Uh, because I'm not wired that way. I'm more art than science when it comes to deal flow. Yeah. Well, and, and look, you've, it's a different deal. I mean, right? how many it's deals have you industry. consummated over the last four years? You've what 30? Yeah, but it's a lot easier, right? It's like, you know, there's the circles that you just talked about are much bigger. I would say it's like anybody in real estate is kind of ready to sell given the, you know, if you can get the right price, um, yeah, they're, they're less, point. they're less tied to, it's less emotional, right? That's more return driven than, Hey, I've been working this building, uh, this business for twenty years. My family works here. Yeah, my, my best kids friends. Are, yeah, my my daughter grew up it's, in the back room. And yeah, I really wanted to give it to my grandkids one day and their legacy. So the fact that I'm selling now makes me want to cry. Like it, there's so much more. Yeah, many more variables. Well, to well how, how many of your whatever you've done, twenty five, thirty deals? How, what percentage of those were off market? Uh, I think about. Forty percent. Oh wow! So you okay? So you do find a lot of off market. Well, so I deals. I. I include uh, pocket listings in that, which are, you know, the, there's a broker involved, but they didn't list it on a website and they didn't blast it to their email. Oh, list. I see. You got it. Okay. Right. That makes sense. So you have it's like, you hey, have full auction processes and you have pocket listings. Yeah. And then, pocket listings were kind of where the broker's like, hey, I know you guys like this market yep. and I trust you guys to close. So I know this owner. I think he'll sell for around this number. Gotcha. Right. Oh, man. I would love to, I would love to get those calls. And then what, so have you done any that are truly off market where you, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's been uh, a few that uh, where the, the owners actually reach out to me. Um, Interesting. Because it's a you know that's not a, a huge universe of, of buyers for these things. Well, that's that's the beauty of being differentiated. Like you guys, like there's just yeah, like you just said, there's not a ton of folks who have hey, we buy manufactured housing parks, right? Yeah. You, you know. Well, I think that I I think you can make the argument in some verticals of your world, you you can say that, right? I mean, there's probably a lot of boring businesses out there that don't have a lot of buyers uh looking for those deals um but software where you're looking is certainly a different story very competitive that's a good point i didn't i don't think i mentioned that but luke and i have made the decision to focus on software which is you know the last couple of years software valuations have been very high and that's been one of our challenges but yeah 
is what it is. So, okay. So given that it is brutally difficult to find one of these deals and, and, uh, and make it work, uh, why, why do it? Why do all this? <laughs> Have you been talking to my wife? <laughs> <laughs> Babe, if you're listening. No, I know you're not. You know, so I honestly, at the end of the day, I think why do it is, is you, you got to do it because you want to run a business. I mean, I, I think it really comes down to that. Like I, you know, I ran a business in the past and I loved, I loved being able to sort of be involved with sales and marketing and operations and finance and accounting and strategy, you know, all the different departments, as opposed to just being siloed in one of those departments, you know, being a, whatever, being the marketing person or the, or the saleswoman. Um, I, you know, so I, I love running businesses, you know, leading teams, growing companies. I find that very interesting. I know my partner, Luke, is excited about doing that. So I think, I think that has to be your driver, right? Because there's, there's other ways to make money in this world. Uh, my driver would be the, the returns that say in our little nifty note page <laughs> here that they're 33.7 average IRR. Yeah, we should touch on that. I mean, so yeah, Holy Brad, cow. Brad and I were doing our research before this show. And it looks like, you know, I'll just, I guess I'll just repeat what you said. But yeah, so on average, search funds have returned 33.7% uh, annual returns to their investors. And I think this is since whatever, 1984. I'm shutting down my real estate business. I'm going to be starting a search fund. If anybody wants to invest in me, reach out. Yeah. That is insane. 33.7%. Yeah, those are great returns. But of course, you know, there's there's plenty that didn't return that. And there's there's a how I many how many you saw the stats. How many how many exited at a negative return? It was like 20, you know, yeah, 20 so, something out of the 90 or 100 that exited, right? Yeah, so that's the hard part is that yeah, sure. That's that 33%. That's for the investors, right? Yeah, that then that's a good point. That's to be clear. That is the what the investors made. And of course, if the investors are make, you know, I guess we should probably touch on that, right? Yeah. What's in it for the searcher? So, the searchers, you know, in terms of the economics for the searcher, they get a uh, percentage of the sort of upside of the business or the equity, right? And so, there's there's three buckets of equity that the searchers can kind of earn into. There's the first one. There's the first bucket, which is, hey, we're going to give you some equity just because you found and closed the deal. So you get that at close. The second bucket is, hey, we're going to give you more equity because you stuck around for some period of time, usually four years. So there's a time vesting component to that. Well, and sorry. So let's what, actual percentages or you know, it, I think it varies, but essentially you can. I think you end up with searchers can end up with twenty to thirty percent of the company if they hit all their all their return milestones. And is that above a preferred return, or is that just starting at zero? So it's yeah, it's, it's it's after sort of the investors have paid back their initial capital, and the investors. This is gets a little bit nuanced, but the investors do have a a um, preferred equity component where they have to get they get paid back an interest rate associated with that. Yeah, but ultimately, yeah, you can think of it as you know twenty to thirty percent of the upside of the company can go back to the searchers. So there's there's some significant equity that the searchers can earn into. By the way, that third bucket, I don't think I finished, is a performance bucket. So. Um, you earn into more equity depending on the return that your investors get. Yeah, so that's like a waterfall. So the higher the return, you, you're getting a bigger piece of that yeah. incremental yeah. profit yeah. above that return. Yeah, so it's, look, you can, you know, there, there's there's serious economics in it for the searchers if they're successful and if they stick around and they and they, and they they run a great, uh, you know, they run a good business and sell it. Yeah, so the I just kind of found the section of the study. So it says that, uh, you know, out of, uh, you know, 100% of the, the search funds that they analyzed, 69% ended in an acquisition and 31% had no acquisition after two years. Okay. So, okay. So those are the, during the search phase. Yeah. During the two 30% years. 30% just never even acquired a company. Yep. Yeah. And yes. then out of that, um, well, out of the people that did, the 69% that did buy a business, 29% of those deals ended in a loss. So that's actually, funny enough, that's actually the worst outcome if you're the searcher. 
right? Because you, <laughs> you spent two years finding it, then you bought it, then you spent uh, oh, five yeah. years running it, <laughs> And then yeah. you earned zero dollars. Yeah, totally agree. It's like the, the, <laughs> the, the second worst, you know, the, the best outcome, obviously, is you buy a company, it's a win. Yeah. The second best outcome is you don't buy a company because the third, the third one is where you actually buy a dog and you're, you have to run that for five or seven years and it doesn't make anyone money. Yeah, yeah that's and then your brutal. investors are pissed at you. Yeah, that's brutal. The wife's probably not that happy. No, no, yeah. she's certainly not. Yeah. Yeah, so you want to avoid that. Um, but yeah, definitely some some meaningful returns if you if you run a successful search and and and, and, a, and you operate a business and sell it. Yeah, and it's a way to expedite you know the these roles, right? It's like who hires you know. There's not a whole lot of 28, 32 year old CEOs running real companies these days, unless yeah. it's some kind of startup. Yeah, or, or 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 the granddad started the business and gave it to him. Yeah, exactly. So this is, I think, a way to expedite you know your career path. If you want to go out and, and run a company someday, this is a great way to do it. Yeah, no, totally. So I think, yeah, in terms of just wrapping up, I think, yeah, it's a great way for, you know, basically for a, a, like a young, hungry, ambitious person to run a business earlier in their career than they might otherwise do. And it's, uh, it's a great way for investors who are sort of in this community to make money. And, you know, a lot of them are really active and they love the entrepreneurs and they back them. They give great advice and they're available for phone calls. And so it's a, it's a very supportive community. So, yeah, I highly encourage you to check it out. Like we said, for more information, just Google uh, Stanford CES for Center for Entrepreneurial Studies Search Fund Study, and you'll have there's a they they do a great job of of putting together an analysis of the search funds. You get, you'll you'll all enjoy reading it. Um, and of course, feel free to contact me, Grayson at StablesPartners.com, if you want to chat more about search funds. But yeah, thanks for listening to the Alternative Investor. Since you made it this far, you should take a second to subscribe to the podcast and join our email list. There, you'll receive additional insights and insider access to the world of alternative investments. Just visit thealternativeinvestorshow.com.